Today on Blue 58, assuming nobody opts out, gets cut, or gets sent to Coronavirus Island, the Packers have three quarterbacks that should have every expectation of making the active roster in 2020. What are our expectations for them? That'll be our discussion today. But first, should the Packers go all in on this season, however it may turn out to be? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. And you know what? I'm coming to you today from, I guess what I would describe as a little bit of a low ebb. Last episode, we talked about where things stood with the negotiations just a little bit. Uh, between the NFL and its players' union as far as getting the season started. The thought was, for me at least, that it could take a little while because the next thing they had to hammer out was all money-related. Compensation, how much you get paid if you opt out, if anything, who gets paid what if you opt out. And over the past few days... That's all kind of been sorted out, and it now looks like we're going to try to get this season going as originally scheduled. But in the meantime, as teams have had their IDER plans approved and teams have had people starting starting to report to their facilities, a few things have happened. First, you get players who are testing positive, which was going to be something that happened inevitably because people don't know that they have it or they had it and it's not fully out of their system yet, but they're not contagious, so on and so forth. You know the drill by this point. Or you just get guys that opt out of the season entirely, which is their right and something I completely understand having had family members deal with this. My brother-in-law had coronavirus and it was a near run thing for him for a while. He was on a respirator for a week. He's 34 years old. For people who have at-risk family members, young children, I totally get why they would want to opt out of the season. And between all this, between our last episode, which I recorded last Thursday night, it's now Tuesday night, and today, in addition to all that NFL stuff that's happened, we've had the entire saga unfold with the Miami Marlins, Major League Baseball, And everything going on there. I can't even begin to dive into that. I don't have my arms around it at all. In fact, I feel like I don't have my arms around any of this. And it just gets exhausting thinking about it. But you can't not think about it because it's affecting what's going to happen this season. And that kind of brings me to Devin Funches, the first Packers player to opt out of the 2020 season. I suspect... Likely not the last. This leaves the Packers in a situation where they've got Devontae Adams, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, and a bunch of undrafted free agents on their wide receiver depth chart. And obviously the Packers are pretty comfortable with the group that they've got because they didn't make any effort to get a receiver other than Devin Funches. Any effort at all. The draft worked out really poorly for them if they wanted to get a wide receiver in the first couple rounds. Even 
had they taken a wide receiver at 26th. Really, the only high-end options that would have been available there are guys like Chase Claypool, T. Higgins, and Michael Pittman. Guys that are good, but also come with their fair share of question marks. But now that they didn't get one of those guys, and they only got Devin Funchess, and Funchess has opted out, they're left with their wide receiver group from last year, minus Geronimo Allison. They'd better be right about this wide receiver group. It is tempting to say, I told you so about it, and I think you might actually be right. Because even if the Packers do receive, or do get out of their receiver group what they think they can, you're still leaving yourself in a precarious situation by adding so little. You should be backfilling at least a little bit. But all that kind of pales in comparison to what's going on. It's hard to even talk about the little minutiae of the roster in light of guys opting out left and right, questions surrounding the season, questions about who gets to opt out and to what extent. It kind of makes you feel not super optimistic about the entire season. Because we are very much at step one here. Teams aren't practicing yet. They don't even have full squads in the facility yet. There is a long way to go between now and football. And to show you just how wrong this could go, just look at who qualifies as an at-risk individual. High-risk conditions. These are the guys who can opt out and get $350,000 for this season. People who have or have had cancer, chronic kidney disease, COPD. People who are in an immunocompromised state from a solid organ transplant. People who have serious heart conditions. People who have sickle cell disease. People who have type 2 diabetes, asthma, cerebrovascular disease. People with cystic fibrosis, hypertension, or high blood pressure. People who are in an immunocompromised state from a blood or bone marrow transplant immune deficiencies, HIVs, people who use corticosteroids, like an asthma inhaler in some cases, neurologic conditions, liver disease, pulmonary fibrosis. Those all sound like big things, but as you start drilling down, it gets even more complicated because some of this affects players' families too. There are so many hurdles, it seems like, between now and the start of an NFL season. And what does an NFL season even look like if every team has three or four guys opt out at minimum? And like we talked about a few episodes ago, what if it's all at one position group? What if, say, just for sake of argument, Billy Turner, Lane Taylor, and Rick Wagner all opt out of the season? That wipes out the Packers' entire right side of the offensive line. The entire thing is just gone. And again, it's a totally defensible thing to opt out, but it leaves teams really reeling. And where does that leave those teams heading into the 2020 season? It's hard not to feel a little bit low about it. But there is another way of looking at this 
that might lend itself to a little bit of positivity. The Packers reportedly are interested in an agreement with free agent defensive lineman Everson Griffin. As you will remember, this is something that I advocated for about a month ago, a month and a half ago, in fact. June 12th, I published this piece at acmepackingcompany.com, and I think we mentioned it on the podcast a couple times before then. Everson Griffin sitting out there unsigned, opted out of his contract earlier this year with the Minnesota Vikings, and I think he could be a good addition to the Packers. I've linked that piece in your show notes if that's something you would like to take a look at again. But in short, I think he could just be another interesting rotational pass rusher for the Packers. And he's probably a little bit better at some other things than guys like Dean Lowry or Tyler Lancaster. It beefs up your front seven rotation. On the one hand, I'm feeling a little bit about like the guy who suddenly got everything he ever wanted. Because I've been asking for years for the Packers to just go all in on edge rushers. And last spring... They got Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and drafted Rashawn Gary. This year, they may end up signing Everson Griffin. I don't know what else a guy could ask for. That's a bunch of at least potentially high-end pass rushers. Two pretty productive ones in Smith and Smith, an athletic freak in Rashawn Gary, and a guy who's shown he can do it as a hand-on-the-ground rusher in Everson Griffin, kick inside a little bit. Boy, that's looking pretty good. But it also gets me thinking, what if that's really just the first step? Assuming there is a season this year, and I think there will be, I think come hell or high water, the NFL is going to force this thing through. They may not even have to force it. Maybe they get all their ducks in a row and this turns out to be a good decision to go forward with the season. But I think we're going to have a season here in some form. Maybe fits and starts, maybe a reduced season, but something's going to happen. Believing that is going to happen, I wonder if the Packers should go all in. Do absolutely everything they can to make sure that this is the year. Now, teams will tell you that every year they're doing everything they can to maximize all their resources and try to get to the Super Bowl. Broadly, that is true. But this is a sort of different thing, I think. This is recognizing that the NFL is going to be completely different after this season for a little while, maybe a long while, because of this pandemic, and trying to get everything possible out of this season before things change. So here's my argument. Two premises and a conclusion. Premise number one is this. The Packers have a limited number of years remaining with Aaron Rodgers. Premise number two is this. A flat salary cap or worse likely means some or potentially several of the Packers' high-end players won't be back after this season. My conclusion, therefore, is the Packers should do all they can to win this season upgrading their defense with an edge rusher like Everson Griffin, adding more talent on offense, probably with another receiver now, generally just doing whatever they can, acting as though these are the very old days of Madden and your franchise only went so far and you could get to the end of franchise mode. Pretend this is the end of franchise mode. 
That's what I think the Packers should do here. So premise one is pretty, pretty easy to understand. The Packers have a limited number of years remaining with Aaron Rodgers. For a couple of reasons, this is self-evidently true. Aaron Rodgers is heading into his age 38 season. He says he wants to play into his 40s. That is guaranteed to no one. This might be it for him. He might play two more years. Maybe he does play into his 40s. But if he does, chances are the Packers are going to have to move on because of their situation with Jordan Love. Sooner or later, the Packers are going to move on from Aaron Rodgers. And basically all the writing on the wall says that it's going to be sooner. Rogers made some comments about that today. I've written an article for AgmePackingCompany.com. If you would like to check out that, it's linked in your show notes. He seems, if not at peace with it, to at least understand it. But it's the reality. There is a limited number of time that we are going to see Aaron Rodgers as the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. The second premise, I think, is also pretty intuitive. The NFL and the NFL Players Association have basically agreed to reduce the salary cap and amount over the next three or four years. It could just be flat next year. It could be reduced all the way down to $175 million, which would be a huge cut. But any sort of non-growth from the salary cap puts the Packers in a bind. David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, all free agents. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, both have pretty big cap numbers next year. Devontae Adams, too. Aaron Rodgers, as well. If there is a flat cap, or worse, there is a good chance some, or perhaps many of those players, are not going to be back after this season. The Packers will have to backfill. And, because the salary cap will be smaller, chances are they can't do it quite as easily through free agents. Therefore, in this year, before things change, the Packers should do all they can to win this season. Max out that salary cap right now. Go get it all. I understand there is an argument that says the Packers can roll over some of their salary cap space that they don't use this year into next year. That is true. However, I still don't think that's going to be enough. If the cap stays flat, you're only gaining about $10 million, $11 million if you roll over every cent you have right now. You're still not going to be able to bring everybody back. If the cap doesn't go up naturally, it's really not going to matter how much you roll over into next year. Use it now. Go all in on this season. And put an asterisk on your Super Bowl or not. I don't care. Get a win this year. It's not going to mean any less. It might mean more if you get a win in a year where everything is going wrong around the entire world. Just go for it. Do what you can. And let the chips fall where they may from there. To maximize this season, no matter what they do from here, they're going to need good play from their quarterbacks. And with all due respect to Jalen Morton, there are really only three on the Packers roster right now who stand a realistic shot of making the roster. And I think all three of them are going to be on the roster. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, and Tim Boyle. Or, if you go in ascending order of interestingness, go from Tim Boyle to Jordan Love to Aaron Rodgers. 
Briefly, I would like to talk about expectations for each of these guys, starting with Tim Boyle. The expectations for Tim Boyle are pretty easy. First, be the absolute worst case scenario for the Packers. Should something happen to Aaron Rodgers, Tim Boyle, I think, is the guy who's going to be coming to the rescue first. May not be long term, but I think he gets first crack at things if Aaron Rodgers goes down, especially early in the season. So say it's like week three or something, Aaron Rodgers gets his ankle rolled on and somebody's got to come in at quarterback right now. I think the first guy off the, ba- off the bench is probably Tim Boyle. Beyond that, the bar is real low for Boyle this year. It's pretty clear he is not a long-term option in Green Bay. It's pretty clear even at this point that he's not so much of a trade asset or anything like that. He's just a guy who's going to be the break glass in case of emergency quarterback. And that's fine. You can make a pretty good living doing that. But he should not have any illusions about where he stands on the depth chart. You can go back and find articles by Bob McGinn, primarily, about how it wasn't fair to Craig Knoll way back in 2005-2006 that he didn't get a real shot at being the number two quarterback behind Brett Favre when Aaron Rodgers was drafted. Give me a break, Bob. Everybody knows that when you draft a guy in the first round, he's the de facto number two. That's just how it works. That's Jordan Love from here on out. Doesn't matter if he's not the first option right away. He is the preferred guy here. He's going to get first crack at opportunities behind Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be the real backup option long-term should something happen to Rodgers. He is the heir apparent. He's the guy, not Boyle. And that should be fine. But as far as Jordan Love goes, I think the expectations are also pretty simple. Daniel Jeremiah, the draft analyst, know him as Move the Sticks, at Move the Sticks on Twitter, has some really interesting stories about his time working in the NFL for the Eagles, for the Ravens. And he tells some interesting stories or, yeah, some interesting stories that kind of all fall into to one vein. He has a few in this genre, but they fall into the vein of knowing exactly what you've gotten a guy from the very first practice. So you do all the scouting, you watch a guy play in college, draft weekend comes, you make your selection, you're real happy you got this guy, and then practice shows up, practice rolls around, and immediately it becomes very clear that this guy isn't going to cut it. It's not going to work out for this guy that you picked. You just can't do it at an NFL level. One of the guys he talks about that way is Kyle Bowler, the former first-round pick at quarterback. He says from right away in Baltimore, it looked real bad. It was pretty obvious it wasn't going to work out. Missing easy completions, throwing interceptions he shouldn't. Just thinking, man, this is not going to go very well. Jordan Love has to be at least better than that. If he can look like not a mistake in practice, I think that's good enough for this year. Because this year, nobody is going to expect him to play. He should probably, in best case scenario, and I know we're not going to have preseason games, but in a best case scenario, be better 
than Brett Hundley was in the one preseason he actually played. Hundley had that one really good preseason run. But if you go back and look at it, he wasn't doing anything that was all that impressive. If you watch the coach's tape, and I would caution against doing this super regularly because you can start seeing things that aren't really there if you don't practice this and do this a lot. And this is something that I have to remind myself a lot about a lot. And I don't watch a ton of film for this reason. It, I think it's better, generally speaking, to just find educated people who are good at it and learn from them and ask smart questions of them. But if you watch Hundley in the preseason, when he played well, he was doing really basic stuff. He'd get the snap, usually out of shotgun, take a short drop, look at one receiver, and if he was open, he'd throw it to him. There wasn't a lot of complicated stuff going on there. If Love can at least show a little bit more sophistication than that, should he ever get into a game, I'll feel a lot better about him as a pick. But that brings us to the really big guy, Aaron Rodgers. What are our expectations for Aaron Rodgers? Last season was not that great. In fact, it might have been, in some ways, the worst season of Rodgers' career. At the very least, it contained one of the poorest stretches of his career. How do I know that? Let me introduce you to a brand new tool that I am very proud to debut at thepowersweep.com. It's the Aaron Rodgers Adjusted Net Yards Per Attempt Tracker. Adjusted Net Yards Per Attempt is one of the best single passing stats for evaluating quarterbacks in the NFL. It accounts for a whole bunch of things in one simple number. Yards, touchdowns, interceptions, pass attempts, sacks. Combines it all into one number and gives you a good idea how how a player is doing. Way back in the day, in the 2011 season, Aaron Rodgers had one of the best ever adjusted net yards per attempt seasons. Averaged almost 10, or put together almost 10 over the 16-game stretch in the 2011 season. He was almost that good again in 2014. But since then, he has plateaued at a much lower level. He's been in the mid-sevens for most of the last season, last couple seasons. And if you look at the tracker that I've put together at thepowersweep.com, you can see four, eight, and 16-game chunks for Rodgers' adjusted net yards per attempt figure. Since his rookie season, Aaron Rodgers has had only one eight-game stretch with an adjusted net yards per attempt lower than 5.42, which is exactly where he was over the last eight games of last season. That was back during the 2015 season when things were really on a downswing there. But Rodgers, over the final eight games of last year, was as bad in that respect as he's ever been. Same goes for four-game buckets. Over the last four games of of 2019, he really took a big dip. He was up near nine for the previous four games or so, but the last four games, he was down at 5.21. 
performance dropped by almost half over the last quarter of the season. He was really good at times last year, but he was also really bad at times. All in all, it evened out to a year where he had good volume numbers. Yards were pretty good. Completion percentage pretty good. But uninspiring numbers in some other respects. Just 26 touchdowns. Just four interceptions. Average just seven yards per attempt. There's also been a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers having a big spike in year two. And a lot of that hinges on the fact that Matt Ryan, also working in the LaFleur-Shanahan system, had a big jump in year two as well. That could happen, I think, at age 38. It's, it's probably not super likely that he has a huge jump. I think it's somewhere between slightly better than 2019 and the Matt Ryan big jump sort of year. I think that's a reasonable expectation for Aaron Rodgers. This system should be more fully integrated. He should be more comfortable in it. And if he continues to buy in, there's no reason he can't still continue to be an effective quarterback. And expecting him to be a more effective quarterback than he was last year, I don't think is that big of an ask. If he's only as good as he was last year, the Packers should broadly be fine. They may not have the same 13-3 and record, but you can win with the performance that you had from Aaron Rodgers last year. He can be better than that, and I think it's fair to expect him to be better, and I do. But if he's only as good as he was in 2019... I think you're you're still doing okay. The question I have, though, is what if he's worse than he was in 2019? How much worse does he have to be before you're really concerned about 2021? I don't have a good answer for that. And I think this is one of those situations where saying I don't know is, is fine. I hope it is, because I, I honestly don't know. But how much worse than 2019 would he have to be for you to be really concerned? If you've got an answer for that, I'd love to hear it. Let me know on Twitter, on email, on Facebook, wherever you find the show, except for YouTube yet. Didn't want to talk about that. Still won't. Still a problem. Um, But let me know. I would love to hear your thoughts. Because continuing this conversation around the Packers is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.